Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life, Lord. We thank you for health and strength. We have so much to be thankful for that we can't even count the ways we have and with the things we have to be grateful for. So we just say thank you for everything. Thank you for Jesus who makes all of it possible. Lord, I ask that you visit every person in this church, whatever is in in their hearts, Lord. I ask that you open doors that they have locked to us because we know there's nothing hidden or locked from you. Lord, if they need healing, bring healing. Somebody in here needs to know that they can make it. Somebody in here needs to know that everything is going to be all right if they keep holding on. Somebody here needs to know that their health is going to, their help is on the way and their health is going to be better, dear God. Somebody needs to know that their child is going to be all right. Just keep their hand in your hand, Lord, whatever it is. Somebody needs to know that it's going to be all right and that you will wipe away every tear from their eye. Somebody here lost their mom and this is a hard season for them and they need somebody to walk by their side, dear God. When people can no longer walk, Lord, still walk by their side in the lonely moments as they begin to reflect on their mothers and the things that mama used to say and the meals that mama used to cook and the ways that mama used to be and all of the memories begin to flood their soul. Lord, we ask that you would stand with them and be with them and comfort them and bring them peace. Lord, you said in your word, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Help us to stay our minds on you so that we can have that peace. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing right now, what you're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, let all who believe say amen. The church say amen. Now, I don't know why Brother Hampton won't look at the clock when he's not preaching. You know, when he's not preaching, he don't look at the clock. But my lesson will be coming from 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 16. Now, the thing about it, by the time you get there, I'm going to be through. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number, and mine is, my lesson on this morning, my subject I was given is talking about a mother's love. A mother's love. Now think about it, what I want, I want everyone in here to have, you still have your mother with you, don't ever forget or don't ever not tell your mother that you love her. Amen. Always have to take an opportunity to tell your mother that you love her. And we're going to leave, we talk about a mother's love, and a mother's love, you can, you can find it all through the scripture, but in this particular passage, it's talking about two different, two different mothers. And it's talking about, in, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, it's talking about this wise man Solomon had just got through coming out of a dream in Gideon. He had talked, and God had asked him, he said, Tell me what you want. And, and, and instead, of, instead of going through a dialogue, Solomon said to, 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 the, to the Paul, he said, Lord, give me wisdom that I may guide your people. Amen. And God said, because you did not ask me for a goal, a long life, or the lives of your enemies, I'm going to give you all of that, and I'm going to give you wisdom. And so to see that wisdom, we look at verse number 16. And the Bible says that two harlots came to Solomon came to the king, and what had happened was he had just come from Gideon, he went to Jerusalem, and he had a feast for his servants. And during the time of that feast, two harlots came to him, two harlots or two, two uh, prostitutes came to him. The thing about it, the Bible did not go into any type of dialogue about their lifestyle. It went into a dialogue about their love. And what he said was, and one of the ladies began to talk to him, he said, oh king, as I was asleep, I, I, gave, I, gave, I gave birth to a child. And she said, three days later, this other lady gave birth to a child, to a son. And she said, while the other lady was asleep, she laid on her baby and, killed, and her baby died. And she said, so while I was asleep at midnight, the lady came and put her baby and replaced hers with mine. And I, and I got up the next morning, I began to feed my baby. And I noticed that it was dead, she said, but when I looked at my baby closely, I noticed it wasn't mine because, remember, this lady had had her baby three days earlier. And she said, I know that this was not my baby. So the other lady said, no, you're, no, 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 king, this is my baby. This is not her baby. This is my baby. And the lady went on to say, you know what? They went back and forth and back and forth. And that's why Solomon said, you know what? Let me do this. He said, bring me a sword. He said, bring me a sword. And when he said, when he bought the sword, he said, cut the baby in half. Give one to this mother and one to this other mother. And what happened was the mother that, that was 
the real mother said, no, no, don't do that. If it be so, just give the baby to her. And then the other lady said, no, no, go and do it. Go and cut him up. Let's go and cut him up. And then the psalmist said, because of this mother, I know that this is your child. Because of her, because she loved the baby so much, she was willing to give him up to save him. Have you ever noticed anything? Has your mother ever given up something for you that you might be saved? Has your mother ever given something up? Have your mother ever given up some sleep at night because you were sick? Because there wasn't enough food to eat, she gave up her plate so you can have enough to eat. Your mother ever given up something for you? There's a story that goes about a small kingdom. And in this kingdom, there was a king. He had just become king because he was a prince. And his father had died. But before his father died, he made a lot of decrees for that kingdom. And when, it, when, the son, when the son came on to be the king, he had someone that he loved that was in the kingdom. It was one that raised him. It was called his nanny. But his nanny had a son. And him and the king, him and the king that now had, they grew up together. But this son was no good. Every time you look around, this son got into some trouble. And the nanny would always go to the king and say, please, king, pardon my son. And the king said, because I love you, I'm going to pardon your son. You know he's no good, he said, but I'm going to pardon your son. So they kept on going on. But this one time, this son did something that was so hideous and so mischievous that there was a decree made that he had to be executed. And so the, the, mother, the mother went to the, went to the king and said, you know, king, I know my son did this. I know it was wrong. He said, but can you please spare me? He said, no, because of what he did, he has to be executed. So the mother said, he said, what's going to happen is, in the morning, we're going to ring the bell, and all the citizens are going to come out to the courtyard. And when they come out to the courtyard, we're going to sit down, and they're going to watch your son be executed. And they said, after the bell rings three times, your son will die. And so the mother, being grieved, she left and went and saw her son, and then she, she came back. So in the morning, the bell rung for all the citizens to come out into the kingdom. And so while they were sitting there, they were all out there, and the king gave the signal to ring the bell. They rung it one time, no sound. They rung it two times, no sound. They rung it three times, no sound. And so the decree also said if the bell didn't ring, he could be released. So as they were cutting the cords from around his hand, the king said, let him go. And the people being so grieved about it, he said, you know, what he saw, he, he did this, they said, but the bell didn't ring. So we got to let him go. So as they began to cut the twine from around his hand, from inside the bell, his mother fell. She had wrapped herself around the bell so it wouldn't ring. And so what the king ran, he ran over to him and said, why did you do that? You know that he was wrong. You know he was guilty. Why did you do that? She said, I know he was guilty, but because I love him, I couldn't let him die. Jesus did the same thing for us. He did the same thing for us. Every time we get accused, the bell rings. But because the sound doesn't go from the bell, because Jesus said, because I did this, let him go. Love your mother. In Matthew chapter 15, in Matthew 15, beginning at verse number 21, and as you take your time to, to get there, I have to be honest and admit that I love a good sandwich. When it gets real, real good, you got to get, just got to get jiggy with it and pronounce it correctly, and it's not just a good sandwich. It's a good sandwich. In order to have a good sandwich, you've got to have two slices of bread. But what makes a good sandwich a good sandwich is the stuff that's in the middle. Now, I'm going to horrify a few vegans and say that my fav one of my favorite sandwiches is the cold cut combo at Subway. Praise God. <laughs> that slice of bread on top, 
and they just delectably put meats in the middle. And then when I get mine, I get mine with, with lettuce and tomato and I get spinach and I get olives and get ranch dressing put on that sandwich. Downtown, there is a small Jewish shop that sells a sandwich called a muffaletta. It has sourdough on top, or you can get it with rye with the small little seeds. Then they put cheese on that bad boy, and they put pastrami, and they, they lay that thing down, Gino salami, and then they, put, they close it off with another piece of bread at the... And then when I'm just you know, at the house by myself, sometimes I enjoy a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, for those of you who are sinful and have no understanding, you cannot have a proper peanut butter and jelly sandwich without having nuts in the peanuts. Praise God. But I want to introduce to you this morning a good sandwich. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus, Jesus begins to make a sandwich. He starts it off in chapter 14. He fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. That's the first part of the bread. Then he drops down in Matthew chapter 15 toward the latter part of the text. And then he feeds 4,000 with a few fish and seven loaves. But this morning, I want to introduce to you a tenacity sandwich. You have a, the first layer in which the bread is the feeding of the 5,000. You have the second layer in which there is the feeding of the 4,000. And then in the middle for the meat, you got a crumb. It's a crumb sandwich. Jesus comes into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. That was a place that Jews did not go to because it was considered Gentile territory, but Jesus made it, made it a point to go to Tyre and Sidon. And when he was there, he ran into a Canaanite woman. And the Canaanite woman came out of the coast and she cried unto him and she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She's a Canaanite woman. She is a, she is a Gentile, a non-Jew woman who really has nothing to do with the Jews. But nevertheless, she tries to appeal to Jesus' Jewish nature. And she says, have mercy on me, thou son of David. She ain't got no right to say that. She's not part of the, the, the stock of Israel. But she says, thou son of David. And Jesus, Jesus really doesn't pay no attention to her. She says, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Jesus ignored her. And then the disciples came and they, they cried out to Jesus. And they, he said, they said, send her away because she's crying after us. First off, disciples, wasn't nobody talking to you in the first place. She was, talking, she was talking to Jesus. But when you get attached to greatness, sometimes people get beside themselves and think that you're talking to them when she ain't say nothing about them. They say she's crying after us. Ain't nobody asked you nothing, Mr. Disciples. And then, and then he answered the disciples and he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, in other words, I came to seek and save the Jews. So that's who I'm concerned about. And then she hearing what he said to the disciples, she came and she worshiped him. And now she dropped, she dropped the need to appeal to, Jew, to Jesus's Jewish nature. And she simply said, Lord, as a sinner, she cried out. She said, Lord, help me. Sometimes that's the best prayer that you can pray. But she said, Lord, help me. And then Jesus, Jesus answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. That's the meat in the sandwich. He said, it's not meat to take what belongs to the children of Israel and give it to pups. He wasn't, he wasn't demeaning her because there's two words for the word dog. One is scum. The other is a house pet. He said, it's not, it doesn't make sense to give what belongs to my children and give it to the pups of the house. And the woman caught the analogy. She understood 
what Jesus was saying and she walked with him in faith and tenacity and she said, truth, Lord. Truth, Lord. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She understood enough to know that whatever, if there was, if there was flour in the sandwich, if there was eggs in the bread, if there was yeast, then the same stuff is in the crumb. She said, I'll take, I'll take the crumb. That's a tenacity sandwich for you. And as we see Jesus, Jesus then healed her. Or he healed her daughter. She wasn't even coming for herself. She was coming on behalf of her daughter. Jesus healed her daughter. And then, and then when he, when he healed her daughter, one thing that I've come to, uh, to learn and understand is that the beauty of Bible study is that you don't always get to see the aftermath. You miss seeing the greatest part of the text. But in my feeble way, I just I want to bring it out to you this morning real quickly. As I take my seat, her daughter was healed instantly. And when she was healed, when she was healed, what happened was, is that the woman got up, and at some point, when she got up, she went home. And when she went home, she was able to see her own daughter. The text, the text does not say what she said or what she did, but I imagine she looked at her baby girl and she said, I thank God for you. She looked at her daughter and she said, I prayed for you. I just got back from Jesus' midst talking about you. And as I see you now in your right frame of mind, it's a beautiful thing to me. My tenacity for you, my tenacity for you says that I don't want nothing bad to happen to you. I will love you for the rest of my life. Her tenacity said that I'm going to embrace my daughter in whom others may have counted out. But even though she was demon possessed, I didn't give up on my baby. Some of your babies right, right now may feel demon possessed because you're asking them to take out the trash or you're asking her to wash the dishes. You're asking her to do certain things for you. She just ain't going to do nothing. But at the end of the day, we still need mamas who have enough sense to know that my baby sometimes may not have the best sense in the world but I know that if I stay tenacious enough I know that if I stay faithful enough I know that my Lord will redeem even my baby and so mama prayed for her baby and I thank God for the mamas who prayed even for their babies on today we need more sandwich making mamas who know how to make a tenacity sandwich that say that I'm going to keep my baby even when the world gives up on him. Praise God. Any Proverbs 31 women in the, in the house? Come on, everybody love a Proverbs 31 woman. Amen. I come to you for a few moments just to speak about the virtue of a woman. Now, Proverbs 31, this book of Proverbs is, is extending a, a book that Solomon wrote. And as you know, he's the one who's wise. He received all wisdom from the Lord. And as he's getting this wisdom, I studied in the Hebrew word for wisdom is hakmah. Now, what that word means is that it's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge applied in action. So what you have to understand that this book of Proverbs is not just simply a book for you to learn and just know, but it's for you to apply and to receive. That's going to help us as we get further into the text. So as you continue to see this text, and, and the beginning of Proverbs starts off with a father talking to his son and just trying to instruct him in a way to continue to guide him in the ways that he needs to grow. And then afterwards you see uh, a mother, you see a mother being talked to, talked about through her son. The son is talking to the mother, uh, and it's through the king of Massa, who is uh, King Lemuel. And the text says, who can find a capable wife? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband's trust in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her servants and evaluates a field and buys it. 
all these great things that they continue to list. Now, this is a poem that is written in the alphabetical order of Hebrew letters. So as you continue to read all these things, it's talking about a woman who has some type of virtue inside her, some type of, of pureness inside her. Virtue means pure moral judgments that make you pure. So what happens is, in this text, she has all these great things that she's worth. All these great things. And if you read the text, you can probably find some stuff that you are, are worthy of in that text. You can find that you're the type of woman that is more worthy than jewels and, and rubies. Is anybody in? Come, come on now. Is anybody more worthy than gold and silver? Come on now. The text is telling us that she has all these great things inside her, but this is the great thing that I love about this text. I read something uh, that, that kind of touches me, and if you'll turn to Mark 5, 25, you'll see that there's this, this story about Jesus. And he's walking, and he's on his way to heal uh, another woman. And as he's walking, there's a woman with an issue of blood. And as she comes, she just touches the hem of his garment, and he turns around because he felt virtue leave his body. Now, the text translated, and some, some people understand it to say power. But see, the word virtue also means power. Power is translated in three different ways. It's in the mighty uh, hand of God and the throne of God and then the pureness of God. Now, stay with me here. So virtue here is with pureness of God. It's with moral judgment because to be pure, you have to make moral ethical decisions. Now, here's the great thing. In this text, all these things that she's worthy of is because of her pureness and worthiness to God. So if you have power as a woman, if you have this type of power that, that, that Jesus had when he had felt that leave his body, you understand that you, as a woman, if you're pure and virtuous, that you have that very exact same power inside you. You feel that power when you're down on your knees at night and you're praying for your children and you need them to make it out of whatever they're going through. You feel that power as you're sick and hurt inside and you need God to move inside your body and move inside your family's body. Is there anybody in the house that understands that there is power in a virtuous woman? Oh, come on. I know you remember the nights where you went through something and you prayed and it showed up and it showed out. I can speak for my own mother. I know she made some decisions that may not have been right, but she tried to stay virtuous in her ways. And as she continued to walk with God, she believed for what she was praying for. There is power in that virtuous woman. When you start to speak into their life and you pray and you start to proclaim God's word, you understand that he's already moving, it's already finished, and it's already done. Virtuous women have power stirred up inside them that will change and shift the atmosphere of a home. It will create atmospheres that will create love and joy and peace. Virtue is in the woman that is inside God because God is inside us. Amen. Simply put, as you grow throughout your life and you have those decisions to make, you have things that go on, the Bible tells us that virtue is an act of kindness. You have to be pure in heart. You have to make the right decisions in order to be pure in order to have that virtuous, that virtuous power. And I don't know about you, but I know my mother wanted that virtuous power so that when she called on the Lord, when she moved, when she did whatever she was doing, it always came with a belief that it was already going to happen. And so as you go throughout your life, I want to encourage you just to continue to try to be a virtuous woman. Continue to seek out that power that Christ has inside you because somebody's waiting on you. Your children need you. Your family needs you. And you've done what you've done to this, this far because of the pureness inside you. Continue to grow. Continue to see Christ in his fullness. Thank you. As we prepare to uh, conclude our words of encouragement, there is a sociological argument that has inferred for a long time that nature versus nurture. Um, those who believe that there are things that are instinctively that is genetically passed on uh, through us that there are traits and characters about us uh, that are just genetically passed on. And then there is the argument that there are things that we learn along the way that we develop uh, through uh, exiting the wound, that we, we learn, we pick up characters and traits along the way. 
There's the nature, which are, is the natural thing that we do. And then there are the things that we learn what to do. And so I believe that in Exodus chapter 2, there is a woman by the name of Jochebed who encompassed both of those uh, arguments. Well, how does she do this? There is the instinctive thing that she does because she is a mother. And then there is the learned thing that she does because she is a mother. Explain this preacher. She naturally, instinctively decides to protect her son. Why? Because she gave birth to him. But then there is a decree that has been set out. There is a law that has been set out among the land that the sons shall be destroyed, the Jewish children shall be killed. Instinctively, she gives birth to her child, and the Bible says that for three months, she naturally desires to protect him. But because of the law that exists in the land, although I am a mother, and, and naturally I want to take my child and protect my child, but I understand that there is a risk that if I keep my child in my house, that the law says my child must die. Stay with me now. There is something that is natural about mothers that we instinctively and genetically you do. And then there is something that is culturally taught to us. Sometimes in order to save our children, we have to give up our children. Sometimes we have to give them up, not because we don't love them, but because giving them up sometimes saves them in the long run. And so Moses' mother found out that, listen, although there's an argument that says there's nature and then there is nurture, nature says keep Moses here. I love him. I birthed him. I fed him. I did everything that I'm supposed to do. But then there's a law that exists that says if I keep him, then I can lose him. But in order to save him, I'd rather lose him now but save him in the end. And sometimes mothers have to make that decision that I have to give up my child in order to save them in the end. It was hard for me to understand that. And I watched my mother with my siblings and sometimes those of us on the outside looking in, we always have our opinions on how we can do things. And we say, why do you put up with something like that? And my mother reminded me, I carried him for nine months in my womb. It's hard for me to just want to close the door to him. And so sometimes the instinctive thing I do Although the natural thing that I've learned in life that sometimes you have to let him go in order to save him. And this is what Moses' mother, Jochebed, was faced with. Three months she cared for him. But a decree had already been passed. And she realized that, that I've learned that the law has already been written. And I know that if I keep him here with me, I'm going to lose him. And so I'd rather sacrifice him now in order to save him for later. The protectiveness of a mother. The protectiveness sometimes, although we may want to keep them, but in order to save them, we have to lose them. In order to save them, in order to protect them the way that we want to protect them, we have to give them up. So here it is, is that Moses' mother, she gives him up. And the Bible says that his sister, Miriam, she follows him along the Nile. And then our Pharaoh's daughter comes and takes him and then goes and positions herself and said, Let me go and find you a Hebrew mother to raise this Hebrew child. And the Bible says that she goes back and finds Moses' own mama. She gave him up then, but God put her in a position to save him later. And that's what happens sometimes in order to protect our children. We have to give them up now in order to save them later. The protectiveness of a mother. What a mother would do in order 
to protect their children. You've seen mother do extraordinary things in order to protect their children. And so I salute the mothers on this morning. And I say to you, I understand and I respect the decisions and the choices that you have to make in order to protect your children. God bless you and God continue to keep you. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 46 through 52, we're familiar with it. Jesus, who, by the way, was older than his mother. <laughs> by the way, he was older than his mother. Uh, and his mother had a husband named Joseph. But Joseph really had nothing to do with Jesus. But in Luke chapter 2, Jesus was a little boy. He was about the age of 12. And he got lost. And for three days they lost him, verse 46 says. For three days they lost him. And the Bible says that, uh, that they found him after three days. And they, they, they said, what are you doing, Jesus? They found him talking to the, to the scholars and to the Pharisees and the leaders, both hearing them and asking them questions. And he says to them, uh, know ye not that I have to be about my father's business? Now keep in mind that Mary was with Joseph, but Joseph was not his father. So now Jesus in the very presence of his uh, stepdad, if you would, is talking about his real dad. And I can imagine that might have been hard for Joseph, but this was so much bigger than Joseph because Jesus was not the seed of Joseph. He was the seed of the woman, which means physiologically the woman doesn't carry the seed. The woman carries the egg. Women, all women, have maternity in them. And I need you to know that if you're not a mother, because I do want to consider those of you that can't have children. I don't want to make the assumption that everybody can have children. You may not be able to have a child, but maternity is in you. Your body was designed for maternity. Physiological things happen in your body for the sake of maternity. Not only are you physically prepared and shaped and created for maternity, but you are emotionally created for maternity, even if you don't have a child. So even if you don't have a child and I say Happy Mother's Day, I, I, let me tell you something. You may not have given birth, but you have maternity inside of you. There's something inside of you that wants to nurture. There's something inside of you that wants to care. There's something inside of you that wants to embrace. There's something inside of you that wants to protect. There's something inside of you that wants to keep close. That's maternity. Well, here's the thing. Mary had this, and the Bible says that Jesus makes this declaration at 12. We jump to John chapter 2, and he's 30. At 30 years old, Jesus is now at a wedding at Cana of Galilee. At 12 years old, he was with his parents, got lost, they were blown away. What are you doing? Jesus says, I've got to be about my father's business. Lost for three days, they find him. Mary keeps that to herself. The Bible says she keeps that memory, verse number 51. He gets grown at 30 years old, John chapter 2. They get invited to a wedding of Cana in Galilee. And the Bible says that they run out of wine. The Bible says that Mary turns to Jesus and says they ran out of wine. Here's the first point. Jesus never did a miracle before, but yet Mary is going to Jesus saying they ran out of wine. What is she expecting Jesus to do if he never did a miracle before? He never in his life did a miracle. He was just baptized by the river, in the River Jordan by John, never healed the sick, never raised the dead, never, never gave sight to the blind, but yet they run out of wine at a wedding and his mother, who never saw him do a miracle, say to him, they ran out of wine. What is she expecting? How does she know he can do something? Well, the Bible says when he got lost at 12, the things he started saying, though Joseph never held them, his mother Mary held them. And I will just imagine that she watched Jesus as he went through his teenage years, and she watched and listened to him so that by the time he turned 30, even though he never, she never saw him do a miracle, she knew the potential of her own son because she watched him, because she kept the sayings, because she tucked things away, because she observed him, because the good principle of the mother of God is that the mother of God paid attention to her son and good mothers pay attention to their children. It says nothing about Joseph. 
It says nothing about Joseph knowing anything or being even present. Some theologians believe he was dead. But Mary says, hey, they ran out of wine. Jesus says, woman, what I got to do with you? It wasn't rude. He was talking loud like a son who was working a job and his mother visits him on the job. You see, at 12, he says he must be about his father's business. Now he was operating in his father's business. He spent 12 from being born to being 30 in his mother's care. Now he's in his father's business. And he's not saying, woman, I don't, you know, he's not being disrespectful. It's almost as if he's saying, ma'am, I'm on the job. What have I had to do with you? And then he says, mine hour has not yet come. Now, here's the beauty of it. That hour is the hour where he would manifest himself as the son of God. Pay attention here. He says, it's not time. He tells his mother, it's not time. His mother says to the men who were the servants, whatever he says to you, do. He says, mom, it's not time. She says, whatever he says, do. Y'all not, not getting this. He says, mom. He says, mom. No, he says, woman. Ma'am, it's not time, mother. He's not saying mom. He's saying, woman. Ma'am, it's not time. I'm about my father's business. It's not time. My hour is not yet come. It's as if Mary was saying, yeah, I know you know, I've known you long enough that even though you're saying it's not time, I'm going to prep them for what you're saying is not time for because I have something inside me that even though you're saying it's not time and your hour has not yet come, I'm going to prepare these men anyway for whatever you say you're going to do because they need to be ready even though you're not saying it's not time. I know something's about to happen. You're saying it's not your hour, but I know something's about to go down because I've been watching you long enough, so fine, Jesus, but I'll tell these men that whatever he says, that's what you do. And that was the first miracle. Mom was there. Mom was there when he said, I must be about my father's business. Mom was there for the first miracle. Mom was there all through his ministry. He gets to John 19. And now he's at the cross. And verse 25 says that next, standing next to the cross was his mother. Mary the mother of Jesus. There are very few people in your life that will stand with you at a cross. I know you got friends and loved ones and people that care about you, but there are very, very few people in your life there are people that will stand with you at your cradle who will not stand with you at your cross. And Mary stood beside the cross because a good mother will go to the cross with her son, even if it means she has to stand there and watch. Well, this was weird because now you have mom and dad at the cross. Dad has to ignore son. And mom still feels for son. And what do you mean dad? Dad is God. You do know that the cross was not just the Romans doing and the Jews doing, but it was God's doing. Read Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. So now dad makes a decision that hurts mom. It isn't Joseph and Mary. It's Jehovah and Mary. Dad makes a decision that Mary is not concerned about. The first time we see Mary feel lost and that we see them lose Jesus is Mary and Joseph. And that was way back in Luke and they lost them for three days. Here Mary standing at the cross. She remembers this scene. Joseph is not there. And she would lose him again for three days. Oh, come on. Man. Wow. 
Dad is saying, I got to turn my back on him. Mom is saying, okay, okay, I don't know all of that. That's your business. That's between you and your dad. But as for me, I'm going to stand right by the cross. Thank God for mothers who even when the cross was something you deserve, that said no matter who leaves you, even if dad is not going to be here, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to stand right here no matter what happens. Thank God for mothers who will stand by your cross. Well, in three days, just like at the beginning of his ministry, they found him again. But this time, they didn't find him uh, in a way and in a possessed posture where he says, I must be about my father's business. When they found him after this three days, he had completed his father's business. And the Bible says that 50 days later, after he had told the men he chose to be witnesses to me, and here these men were in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. Do you know who else was there? Acts chapter 1 verse 14. It wasn't just Peter, James, and John, and Bartholomew, and Thaddeus, and, 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 and Simon, and it wasn't Nathaniel. It, was, it wasn't just them. It wasn't James. It wasn't just John. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14 that sitting in the same house where they would receive the Holy Spirit was the one who tucked away what he said in the temple when they found him after three days was the one that said, whatever he saith, do it, was the one who stood by him at the cross, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, with most people, it is said, you have your mama's spirit. Mary will now wait to receive her son's spirit. What an awesome sequence of events. What can be learned? What can be learned? It can be learned that if you got a mama that'll stand by your cross, that's something you ought to thank God for. Amen. And what do you mean by your cross? I know Jesus did nothing to deserve it. I'm not talking about the innocent cross because Jesus was guilty by association. He was guilty because he did have the sins of the world on his shoulder. But they weren't his sins. They were the world's sins. So he was guilty by association. A mama that will stand by your cross is the kind of mama when everybody's talking about you will stand with you and risk being talked about with you. A mama who will stand by your cross is a mama when you get sick and people get tired of visiting you who will sit with you and visit you over and over and over. And when people get tired of taking your phone calls, your mama's going to be there. If you're hungry, your mama's... A mama that will stand by your cross is the kind of mama who auntie would say, take a break, but mama's so committed to being by her child that she will deprive herself of sleep and of food and of, of even working to stand... A mama that will stand by your cross is the type of mama that even when you are wrong and you know you are wrong she will not endorse your wrong but she'll stand by you while you're getting your punishment. Has anyone ever knew what it felt like to have a mama that would stand by your cross? My mom was such a one to where when daddy was punishing me Mama didn't agree with what I did, but she'd be standing by the door waiting till my punishment was over so that after I got punished, which wasn't taking away PlayStations, and that's funny, that's funny to me. It's weird what punishment is to kids today. I worked the school system, and it's amazing. You know, I asked some of the kids, what's going to happen when your mom find out you're an in-school suspension? Why are you so down? Well, she's going to take my phone. I said, what? You got a phone? <laughs> now, you know, what's going to happen? Oh, I'm not going to be able to play PlayStation or Xbox. No, no, no. Let me introduce a generation of you to something uh, called serious corporal punishment. 
Some of you don't know about it. I, let, me, let, let me help you understand. And then I'm done. I'm done. Corporal punishment was not uh, time out. That, that's a new thing. Time out. I know that's terrible, right? Time out. Oh, that's miserable. The pain and the suffering of having to go into a corner and not do anything. Time out, right? Oh, taking your phone. Oh, my goodness. The pain and the suffering. Oh, I can't look on Facebook. I can't call my friends. Oh, the pain. There was a punishment called corporal punishment. Now, some people call it spanking. That's the proper way of saying it, spanking. There is a generation that can say spanking. Can you say spanking? Spanking. Yeah, and there's some people that know spanking. That's not what I'm talking about. It was about two levels under spanking because beneath spanking, there was a thing called getting a whipping. Uh, it's, now, whipping was a little deeper than spanking. Spanking might have been one, two, three. Say amen if there's a witness in the house. You know, one, two, I got a spanking. Oh, you got a spanking, right? Whipping was a little, uh, that was a little deeper because that meant uh, there was a belt involved or some medium between your parent and your behind. And so, and so whipping was a little longer. It was a little more forceful. And that was under spanking, okay? Uh, this is not even, I'm going to tell you, having your phone taken wasn't even in this system. This was a whole different disciplinary system. Now, uh, deeper and usually the deepest level, well, I really can't say what the deepest level was because we're in church. I know some of you getting uneasy, but if, but if you're getting uneasy, it's because you know what the deepest level is. And you know why I can't say it in this assembly today. But, 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 but for all intents and purposes, underneath there was a straight up whooping. Okay? Otherwise known as getting your behind toe up. Not T-O-R-E. It was T-O apostrophe U-P. Toe up. Okay? Now I was in this zone. Not because I was worse or better than any other kid. It's just that's the kind of upbringing I had. Daddy was the one that did the tearing up. But mom, even though she was just as disappointed, would be there waiting so that when, watch this, punishment is exacted by daddy. Mama was standing right by my cross of being towed up to patch me up. Here's your eye, put it back in your head. <laughs> Baby, your finger's over there, let me get it for you. Let me tape it back on you. Stop crying now. Give me those two teeth, I'm gonna put. But I thank God for mothers who will go to your cross. Who who give birth to young ladies who become wives that will go to your cross. Because when you have a mother who will go to your cross as a young man, you end up looking for a wife that will stand by you at your cross. And it's a travesty and a tragedy to have experienced the mom that will stand by your cross only to have and choose a wife that will flee when it's time for your cross. So don't just be the kind of mother that will stand by your child's cross. This is going to make some people uneasy. But be the kind of wife that will stand by your husband's cross. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is clapping, but you should. You should. You should. In this world of feminism and all of these movements of empowerment without God, because empowerment without God is not empowerment, it's dominance. And there's a difference between empowerment and dominance. Empowerment without God is, is to rise above where God puts you, but empowerment by the hand of God is to be where God sets you. And I'm here today to say happy Mother's Day 
and this is really out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be transparent here. Then we're going to stand and I'm going to leave. I'm probably going to go out the side door because I don't want the looks and the crazy handshakes and the eye rolling at me. But traditionally, I don't set up, I don't celebrate my wife for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. You women like, you were doing good till then. I take back all my claps. Can I just tell the truth in here? Any real people in here? I, I, I need a real vibe. Any real? I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you what my mentality was. And it's changed. I just hadn't let her know it's changed. But she didn't birth me. And I know some men are afraid to say that's where you are too. And that's where you've been. That's all right, man. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. So my idea was, I didn't come out of your womb. And because I didn't come out of your womb, on Mother's Day, I celebrate the woman who carried me. And to me, that makes sense. So that's the time to go to Mama and say, Mama, happy Mother's Day. But then she started pleading her case. And when I'm really stubborn, I act like I don't hear what she's saying. (laughs) I'm not the only one, brethren. Stop fronting up in here. Please, brethren, don't leave me on this limb. If you do, I'm I'm telling you, I'm going to blow your cover. You see, my participation in her motherhood (laughs) was a key factor. And if I can participate in making her mother, (laughs) if you can participate in making her a mother, and this is even for people who have, uh, who who are not married to, to to your child's mom. If you can participate in making her something she wasn't before she laid up with you, then you ought to, since you participated, be able to celebrate it. Does that make sense? Because being a mother contorts. In other words, you may, and and I'm not saying it was one way, it was double participatory. It was not, it was a joint effort. You didn't just wake up one day and your wife was pregnant, Raul. You made her look like that. Getting up in church, wobbling down the, down the aisle. You did that. <laughs> okay, I, I said this was going to be short, right? Let's, every, every, everybody said. And so, and so we appreciate and celebrate. Praise Jesus, get up so everybody know I'm ending. All mothers. All mothers, whether you are directly a mom or whether you are the mother of children, we say happy Mother's Day. Thank you for having the tenacity, for having the love, for having the virtue to stand by your children, even when it meant standing by a cross. God bless you. You may stand at